Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to The Gabby Ree Show, where everything is an experiment. Hi, everyone. Happy Thursday. We've got our part two of our pain management week today. We heard from Dr. Kelly Starrett, Joe Miller, PJ Nessler. They discussed so many different things in that episode, even things like how controlled movement in certain limited areas really shows benefits to mobilization. Don't I need that? As well as interesting studies on nerve endings and fascial systems. And today... We've got Doug Goldstein, and Doug was really, really instrumental in helping me avoid getting surgery on a torn labrum in my hip. Doug does all kinds of physical therapy, but one of his modalities is dry needling in Colorado. And when I went to see him, I was really having a hard time. And after he got done with treatment, he said, listen, the reality is... um, you might have had this tear for a very long time. You have other muscles that are angry. And so he gave me a series of exercises like homework, pretty boring, you know how that is, to do on a regular basis and said, hey, let's see if this supports you and improves um, how you're feeling. And weirdly, um, and I, you know, it's like I'm no different than anyone. Why does it take me so long to learn things that I already know? It really supported me. And I'm a few months down the road and literally feeling like 80% better um, because it wasn't a promising diagnosis to get the surgery because they really couldn't, with stuff like that, they were like, we can't really fix it, but we'll hopefully not make it worse. And secondly, Jim Onek. And Jim Onek created the Epic 980 laser. They're taking this this laser into certain areas where maybe it's hard to get care and getting people some relief from pain. So I hope you enjoy this edition and the part two of our pain and pain management podcast. Hi, Gabby. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about pain and uh, specifically what modalities I use to treat pain. The first thing I think we have to ask ourselves is, you know, is what is pain? Pain is a signal in your nervous system that something may be wrong. And now that pain has got to communicate itself to the body 
in order for your brain to perceive it. You know, and that, that to me is really the development of what's considered a symptom. You, you feel a symptom, which is your body's way of alerting you that something may be wrong, which goes back to that original definition of pain. I, I definitely treat symptoms and I definitely think about symptoms, but I don't neglect what I believe to be the cause of the symptom. In fact, I spend the majority of my clinical practice thinking about what might cause this pain, what might cause this symptom. Because if I can treat those things, that is really what I'm trying to get after. Because then I believe that I can eradicate the pain altogether and remove it from ever happening again. So as we think about symptom versus cause, and I think it makes a lot of sense to consider treating the cause more than it means treating the symptom because we're looking for a long-term resolution. But that, that's not easy. And the reason it's not easy is because you have to recognize the patient in front of you and acknowledge the fact that they have some discomfort. You know, they have a symptom, they have pain, all the same thing to me. And they're pointing at a specific location of that pain or discomfort. And so if that person is pointing at the knee, for example, they're expecting you to look at the knee and diagnose or treat or you know, impact the knee by directly focusing on the knee. And there are times when that may be helpful because there's a local tissue that might be irritated. But if we go back to the cause question and really trying to understand the cause, we have to think about what causes that tissue to be irritated. In the case of trauma, it's extremely easy. And trauma can be anything from hypothetically falling out of a tree or off of a ladder and breaking your leg. There's a clear known mechanism that caused your pain. Pain could also come from somebody touching something hot or uh, touching something sharp. It's very clear that that pain had a discrete origin and a known cause. The opposite pain presentation could be something completely, well, is completely different in that there is no known mechanism and somebody presents with pain that doesn't have a traumatic origin. They, in, that, in my opinion, they've accumulated, they've accumulated, whether it be tightness or weakness, they've accumulated a bunch of micro traumas that are currently presenting as a symptom, indicating the body that it is in some sort of pain. So we'll, you know, I'll collect a, a thorough history. I'll do a thorough movement analysis, observational movement analysis, um, examination to identify weaknesses, joint restrictions, um, soft tissue restrictions, really anything that the body, any information that the body is, is giving me, because all of that information is extremely important. Uh, the, the, the devil's in the details, right? The details matter. We really have to pay attention to all of that. Because the next phase of, you know, working with pain, a lot of times people are going to say that they treat pain. I would like to say I'm trying to understand pain. And in order to understand pain, I use various techniques. One technique in particular has, it impacts my, it impacts my clinical decision making more than, more than others, is trigger point dry needling. Before we talk about how trigger point dry needling can be used to treat pain, I, I do think we need to explain what it is so there's a better understanding of you know, the process around it. There's a pretty robust history about how dry needling came, came about. Um, fascinating research, fascinating history. Um, 
But at its simplest level, dry needling is taking a needle and inserting it into a muscle and attempting to get a twitch response, to, you know, to make the muscle twitch. Um, the patient and the practitioner can both feel that when that happens. But we found that that twitch can create a very positive, despite it feeling somewhat not positive at the moment where people feel a little discomfort, we know that the results of using the needle can create a positive change in the tone of the muscle. Um, it can help reduce trigger point sensation, which might be a reason you have somebody has pain. But it can also affect the, you know, the output that the muscle's providing. It, it can reduce muscular tightness, which can increase muscular strength. It can reduce muscular tightness, which allows a joint to move better. Travell and Sims, uh, they published a lot of literature about trigger points, the referral patterns, and you know, the pathophysiology of what trigger points actually are. Um, you know, their work is kind of based around something called the energy crisis theory, or they believe that the energy crisis theory is the, the explanation for what a trigger point is. The energy crisis theory is, is better depicted, I believe, visually. Um, to provide some words to it, you have a nerve that sends a signal to a muscle. That nerve releases something at the neuromuscular junction called acetylcholine. That acetylcholine tells calcium which is inside something called a sarcoplasmic reticulum, to be released. Once calcium is released, it goes downstream. It affects troponin, which is on the filaments of the muscle fibers, exposing a binding site, which allows these fibers to slide and contract. When contracted, the muscle shortens. I don't want to you know, continue to lecture about muscle physiology because I think that's besides the point. I think it's important that we consider the application of what we just talked about and you know, how I go about treating pain because that to me is the more important part of this discussion. So let's pick a common, you know, common pain presentation that you might see or I, I see in clinic. And we'll use plantar fasciitis as an example. The common modalities used to treat plantar fasciitis include stretching the gastrocnemius, uh, eccentric strengthening of the gastrocnemius Achilles complex, um, toe intrinsic strengthening, ultrasound, all of these things that are very directed towards the bottom of the heel. So those modalities that we just referenced, when applied, are addressing the symptom. The cause of that symptom is, is something much different, in my opinion. The cause of that symptom is a mechanical overload of that tissue caused by other factors. So in my clinic, the first thing that I'll do for anybody with plantar fasciitis is I will dry needle the front of the shin, specifically the tibialis anterior. And oftentimes I'll connect that tibialis anterior to the perineals, which are the lateral leg muscles, because those two muscles create a stirrup around the midfoot because of their attachment at the first toe or the underside plantar surface of the great toe. If there is an increase in tension of the tibialis anterior, it's gonna pull the foot up, which is going to create length in the plantar fascia in a continuation of its fascia as it wraps around the heel and up to the Achilles. The reason I say that is I need to take tension off of the plantar fascia to get resolution of that symptom, to get reduction of inflammatory markers and neurogenic inflammation at that tissue. But to do that, the we have to reduce the tibialis anterior tightness on the front. So if we think about that, dry needling tibialis anterior allows me to increase the talocrural or upper ankle bone mobility. And once I've done that, 
then what I can do is allow that patient to get into more terminal stance when walking, which is the extended leg position when somebody walks. Now, if we do that, we can then think about the right leg back or the symptomatic leg being the right leg. It can now go back further, which allows the left leg at the same time to swing further forward. So now I've crossed sides because what I'm actually also thinking about in this moment is, is there something wrong with the opposite side hamstring? Are those muscles inhibited? Are they not performing correctly? And in this case, let's go over to that side and say, yes, they're actually underperforming. You do a strength test, it's got a reduced output. They cannot generate as much force as they need to. But also on that side, you see that the hip flexors are a little tight. So then I may, for the symptom of right plantar fasciitis, treat the left psoas. So to treat the left psoas, we, we use dry needling, or I use dry needling, and I apply a very specific current to a very precise location and do all of the things that I, I find to be beneficial. And so the second I'm done with that, I will immediately, one, retest the hamstring strength in this instance, and I find an improvement. I see this increase in gener force generation of that muscle. But then what I really need to do is go back and retest the original symptom with the, the right plantar fascia pain. So I'll ask that patient to get up and I'll ask them to walk and move around and, and really try to cause irritation at, that, at the heel. And you look at that patient and they're trying to find their pain and you can see that something's different. But then you ask them on a scale of zero to 100%, 0% is no improvement and 100% is 100% improvement. How much different or how much better does your right heel feel? And they say 75%. I didn't treat their right heel. I didn't touch anything on the right side that made that 75% improvement. 75% of the reason their right foot hurt was because the left side was dysfunctional. The left hamstrings were not firing. The left psoas, left hip flexors were tight. And that's so important because it, in that moment, creates this beautiful transition into, oh, I didn't know, or the patient looks at you, I had no idea that these things had a relationship. So that's how I use dry needling to be more diagnostic versus treatment-based, because I've then told them, I've diagnosed that the left hip, left side, left hamstring has an effect on the right plantar fascia. But the really sweet spot that we're living in right now, in this moment where this patient is, is eyes open, ears open, and they're listening, I can tell them that you need to get stronger. You need to make this hip more mobile on the left. You need to reinforce these left hamstring muscles to support yourself. So that's kind of, a, again, to summarize how I use dry needling as more of a diagnostic tool to help me understand, you know, how something distant to a pain, you know, something opposite hip maybe affects the opposite side. And then obviously the next part is discussion, which is, is the exercise piece, you know, which exercises are the correct exercises and how do we modify what you're doing currently to, you know, reinforce, enhance, and keep this, keep all this good stuff happening. Jim, maybe you can just share actually just where you got the idea for the laser, you know, how that came to you. 
So I had been involved with lasers since the mid-1980s in the field of ophthalmology. And then as uh, I approached maybe the year 2000 or so, I became familiar with a technology called low-level laser therapy or cold lasers. And uh, it made me curious to look into why these, some of these were working and some of them weren't. So I did a meta-analysis of these cold lasers and the studies that, that I saw. And I said, why did these work and why didn't they? And what I found was there was a very repeatable pattern about why the lasers were doing uh, good and not doing good. And it had to do with a factor called power density. And so that's what led me from a physics standpoint to really say, hey, this is how we can do better. This is how we can redesign the technology to make shorter, more effective treatments. And when you say the technology itself, you know, for the householder like myself, who is really interested in in this and and using it, um, because I love the idea of using, you know, lasers and vibration and light and all different types of modalities, especially when it comes to either healing or pain relief or recovery, or even, you know, people are uh, recovering from even serious illnesses using, you know, various types of all these kind of interesting modalities. Maybe if you, you know, if you were like me, like we're at dinner and I'm, you know, a little bit of a dummy on the technology, what exactly uh, is happening and what the technology is about? So the technology uh, really presents a way to accelerate the body's own natural healing mechanism. So what happens is though the specific wavelength of laser light interacts with the cells that excites the mitochondria and that produces ATP, which is the body's own energy storehouse. And this is the way the body heals. So you take the ATP in, you get that from oxygen you breathe, you get it from the food you eat. Um, here we're adding a third source, the, the photons of light. And those photons of light add right in the area that you're treating uh, this release of, of ATP into the, into the tissues and into the body. And so this is what the technology is doing. It's stimulating uh, at a cellular level. I love the fact that, you know, you, sh you shared that it doesn't matter, uh, you know, I just know even this is sounds silly, but from beauty, it's like, I don't have great uh, skin for certain types of lasers for like hair removal because I have you know, darker skin. And um, so what I love about this laser also is that it goes equally through all uh, kind of tones of skin. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so the wavelength of the light is very, very important. You just can't take a laser and start waving it over people and saying, oh, I'm going to get you to feel better. And so one of the reasons I picked this wavelength was specifically for the reason to say it needs to work the same on a Caucasian, on an African-American, on, on an Asian skin color and a skin tone. And so this laser wavelength is not absorbed in the melanin. Um, or only very slightly. And that, therefore, the protocols and the treatment times, all of those things become consistent across all races. What do you think is your why as far as, I know you're curious and you're an engineer, and you, and, but when you started sort of noticing things about the cool lasers, what was good, what wasn't good, was there also any personal, you know, just thinking, oh, well, maybe this would be a way to help with, you know, discomfort or pain or help people feel better? Was there anything personal about why you were motivated besides just your natural curiosity? 
Yes, for sure. There was a, a family friend that had, had dental surgery, and in the process, they nicked the trigeminal nerve, and uh, that led to some uh, paralysis in the face, and uh, ultimately led to migraine headaches. Um, it led to narcotic medication addiction. And uh, after seeing that experience in the, the midst of doing this uh, type of research, it created a very strong personal motivator to say, this, this needs to be a solution. We need to solve this problem. This can't happen to, to people. Uh, they can't become addicted to these medications to eliminate pain. There has to be a more natural way. So yes, very much a, a personal experience that helped drive this. And you, you, you joke that, you know, you, you run it by your daughters who have, you know, sort of a discern, discerning uh, eye to this. Um, I always love like that even in, you know, one person's house, an expert is still somebody who lives a mile away. So when you, when you share kind of some of your findings with your girls, um, and maybe you can just sort of uh, just share what their backgrounds are in and kind of their feedback about uh, the Epic 980. Sure, my my daughters are quite familiar. They've they've uh, seen me develop the technology over the years. Uh, they're also both PhD microbiologists. So it's a very smart smart girls, <laughs> and uh, you know they always have a hefty degree of skepticism. They're very science oriented, and uh, so they're always challenging me. And uh, but my younger daughter had an experience where she was tossed off her horse. And uh, so I convinced her to please use the, the home device uh, to help her get better. And uh, after so many years of being skeptical, she came back and said, Dad, this thing really works. I can't believe it. She was very excited about it. And so, uh, and they both help out. They both provide great feedback to me. They can grab scientific articles, which is also great. And, and uh, uh, they can help analyze the, the data that comes in and uh, they can help me put things into very scientific things in a very easy speaking terms. I think, you know, again, when people don't uh, read data like myself, I, you know, I can, I can look at other types of things and, and you hear people like yourself talk about, um, you know, reading the data. What were the things that were showing up that were sort of a positive f feedback, you know, that you're seeing from, the laser, like when they, because I think what happens is like, for example, me, I'm happy to believe any treatment that has no downside and has a possibility of an upside, I'm very open-minded to. Like I'll try it. I won't try to make it. I'll just go in with a really open mind. But if someone was listening to this on the data points, what is, you know, showing up at, signaling. So I know that it works at the cellular level for ATP and it's a vasodilator. So it brings blood um, flow, especially to areas, certain areas of the body don't have great blood flow. I mean, knees and certain things like it's, it's, they're not highly vascular. So uh, for people listening, we all know that blood is really such a, such a powerful part of healing or feeling better um, and bringing in nutrients and healing elements. But what is showing up in the data that is connected to the, to your project that um, it really excites you? Well, we see a, a very high success rate um, with the, the treatments, uh, meaning that uh, you know it, it works in all areas of the body. It works good for neuropathy, which is really exciting because there's a, a high incidence of peripheral neuropathy, especially in uh, diabetes. 
And so we see that it's working good for that. Uh, we've seen really good uh, uh, use of it in uh, wound care. I was able to give a presentation a few years ago uh, about uh, to the Wound Care Consortium here in Ohio um, about its uh, potential for, for use in wound care. So we, we know from the scientific work that we've done that it really helps accelerate the, the cells growing. But in the reality um, you know, form, what we see is people's pain levels going down and really turnarounds of people's lives, people that have been in pain, we see that they, they start to feel better and it, like it flips a switch. They start feeling better and then they say, I'm going to go for a walk because my back's not as sore. I'm going to go down and walk the dog. And because they do that, it really um, helps them go on this upward spiral of healing. And then they, they start to feel better. They say, you know, I'm going to pay a little bit more attention to my diet. I'm feeling better. I'm walking. I'm breathing better. Maybe I should pay a little bit more attention to my diet. And all of a sudden, it's completely shifted their, their health. Instead of sitting on the couch saying, I'm too sore to move, they're back up and they're mobile. And that's half the battle, you know, getting, getting out there, getting blood circulating and, and exercising a little bit. I really appreciate that point because sometimes I, you know, it's, I always say it's a little bit like hope for some of us. It's sometimes when we just get those little, spaces of upcycle or support or positivity or feeling better that helps us link the next one and the next one. And, um, and I, I really think that that can really get people, like you said, into the right direction. Can you, can you share about kind of the surprise or unexpected center that you, um, well, you know, that you've opened up in these, you know, kind of hard to reach places. So what was the thinking behind opening a center? What, why, why did you think, oh, you know what, this, these lasers, this would be something interesting for this group to get them relief? So I was in Ecuador and up at the Andes Mountains and uh, demonstrating the laser. And uh, this was right when COVID was going on. So I didn't have a lot of opportunity here in the States to do it. And so they were they were trying uh, the the laser, and just over a, a casual breakfast while we were there, I said, "Wouldn't it be great if we could take this technology and offer it to the indigenous people? They don't have a CVS, they don't have a Walgreens, they can't go to the doctor, get a prescription, and uh, go home and, and take it. They don't know what Advil is, uh, but they're hard laborers. They work hard. They they uh, move logs and stones and rocks, and and they do farming, a lot of laboring." And so it was just a more of a casual comment, but right away, as soon as I said it, everybody in the group just stopped and we all knew, Hey, this is a good idea. And uh, it wasn't long after that, uh, the, the place I was visiting found a donor to build out the, the clinic. Um, and I donated the equipment to get it going. And we thought we would treat, you know, 10, 15 indigenous people a week, and uh, what we ended up doing is treating at 1.50 a day. And now there's five clinics um, in the same area to handle the, the numbers of people that are coming through to be treated. So really quite an incredible. Uh, and they really respond very quickly to the treatment. I always think a healthy amount of, I don't like the word skepticism. I just think people should listen to their instincts and, and have discernment. But I also appreciate that part of the reason that they were having successes, they had no expectations. Uh, also, it's, it's, you know, it's sort of keeping that open mind and, and being receptive to what may happen. 
as my daughters say, they don't know who Johns Hopkins is and why you have to have a study from there. And so they have no predisposition to believe that the technology won't work for them. They are, they are used to, to Mother Earth. They're used to the sunshine. They're used to light. Uh, and they're used to breathing. And so they have all these positive elements. They have no blockage. It's a reverse placebo effect is really what you're talking about. Here, we're focused on saying, oh, but if you don't have a, a three-trial center you know, study, then um, uh, it can't possibly be good, and you, your mind closes you off to the treatment. Um, they don't have that. They're completely open to it. And that's not saying that, that the laser is a placebo effect, because for sure it's not, and there's tons of scientific evidence that says otherwise. But it's just having that open mind to it. And you know, even people here in the U.S., where they have an open mind and, and really a predisposition to say, yes, I, I'm willing to try this, I'm willing to give it a shot, they, they end up having really great success. But if, you know, it's like with anything, if you think it's not going to work and you convince yourself it's not going to work, it's not going to work. Right. Exactly. It's so funny. You know, it's like no matter what, even in healing, we have to participate with, you know, kind of the right open, receptive attitude to heal. You know, for people listening, and I I mean, I, I obviously getting people out of discomfort and getting them into that you know, in front of the eight ball, if you will, and, and doing it without, like you're saying, uh, the support of pharmaceuticals and things like that. Obviously, that's why that's important. But it, if someone's listening also, it's like, and you know, what feels different to you when you've gone through this process and you've had these all these people go through the centers? Because there's going to be people who want to try it. So I'm just trying to pretend I'm them and say, um, you know, what is what is so you so different about this treatment? So one really, uh, I think, dramatic difference is it's hands-on. Nowadays, when you go to the doctors, it's very impersonal. You have one person to check your metrics, another person comes in, and the doctor spends two minutes with you, types some stuff into the computer and says, see you later, here's a prescription. And, and it's very impersonal. With this, this laser, the treatments are, are maybe roughly 10 minutes in, in duration, but it's hand-on. You have a therapist who has a conversation with you when you're being treated, and that opens the door for the healing because finally somebody's listening uh, to them about their, their pain, and you're talking them through the, the treatment. Uh, you're, you're applying the treatment to the area, and you have this communication. And this communication, I believe, is what's missing nowadays in our healthcare. It's very impersonal. This is a very hands-on personal treatment. The therapists love it because they like that hands-on, and the patients really love it. So, I, you ha- maybe you could just share with people because you do have home units that um, you can sort of attach to parts and areas, and then you have uh, people who could. I believe you have people who can administer the treatments. So maybe you could just share and direct people if they were interested in getting their own unit or at least exploring the treatments um, on their own. Sure. If you're, if you're interested in explore, uh, exploring uh, treatments or becoming a therapist, which we have a lot of people that are interested in that, please visit our website. It's www.epic, that's E-P-O-C-H, lasers, L-A-S-E-R-S, dot com www.epiclasers.com you can fill out a contact form and feel free to reach out i review all of those personally um i i like to talk to people about the treatment i like to talk to them about what the training is to go through to become a therapist to administer the treatment 
and uh, happy to have the discussion. If you have a particular medical condition you want to talk about, while I certainly can't diagnose, but I can certainly help you and understand how our technology can be beneficial. Great. And then for the home unit, it has a different name. Yes, Infrahelios. So the sun god that's Infrahelios is uh, is the name, a kind of a, a funny but different name, but memorable. And uh, so this is a unit you can use at home. And uh, there's two types of users. Some people uh, buy it and they use it every day. Now, one lady says, oh, it's like brushing my teeth. I get up in the morning, I sit and have my coffee, I put the Infrahelios on a part that's aching uh, and hurting, and I'm I'm great. Uh, then there's other people that say, I use it for two weeks, I got better, I put it in the closet, and then six months later, if I have another problem, I'll take it back out and I'll use it some more. So they use it in, in different ways, but it can be used at home. Great. And if you're, I, I've actually um, used light therapy quite a bit. And um, I had a friend originally who, who uh, had let me borrow uh, one of, they, they were ahead of me on this. So um, that's, an, that's another thing is pe- people can share. So Jim, I, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. And, and um, I do think, it, you know, b- besides obviously vibration, I think, you know, the more you talk to people, it's like light and vibration really, um, you know, we're going to go forward. We're going back, right? Like yes. they, they've been using <laughs> <Good point. laughs> all these things forever as always. But I just appreciate uh, you making this something that we can utilize and incorporate into this, you know, the, what we're doing now and just the fact that it is safe and effective and, and supportive of, of what people, uh, whatever they're going, you know, cause it can be like you said, if it's an injury or if it's just, you know, trying to boost certain things or help the body boost itself. Um, I just really appreciate it. So thank you for your time. And also, is there any last invitation or reminder that you, uh, that I missed that we want to, we want to give people? Uh, we will uh, appear at several uh, trade shows like the uh, the A4M uh, in Las Vegas, uh, which is a, a great uh, health and wellness and uh, longevity uh, trade show. Uh, so we're there. We're at the, the Conscious Life Expo in uh, February in Los Angeles. So if you come to those shows, by all means, come by and, and see us. And uh, we hope to, to bring a unit to you so you may try it yourself. <laughs> Great. That's really why I do this show, so I can learn all this stuff. It's, really, you know, it's only what I'm interested in. you got a lot of free trials, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. And, and it's Epic Lasers, and um, I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you want to learn more, there is a ton of valuable information on my website. Head to the link in the show notes and click gabbyreese.com to find a full breakdown with helpful links to studies, research, books, products, and more. Stay tuned for a bonus episode coming this Thursday where I go deeper on one of the topics that really resonated with me. If you have any questions for my guests or even myself, please send them to at gabbyreese on Instagram. If you feel inspired, please hit the follow button, leave a rating, and a comment. It not only helps me, it really helps the show grow and reach new listeners. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.